Father, this morning, we just want to thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. The very fact all of us are here in your house, alive and well, it's only because of your faithfulness, because of your goodness, your loving kindness, your mercy, which endures forever towards your children. It's only because of that we stand here, Lord. We just thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Now as we come to the ministry of the word, we just want to thank you for your son, the living word. And for speaking to us all these days, weeks, months, Lord. Help us to revel your word. Because your word says you dwell with the one who is contrite and who trembles at your word. For your word says you have exalted and magnified your word above all your name. And this morning, once again, help us to magnify your word, O Lord. Because your word is spirit and life. It has the power to work in those who believe, O God. So I pray today we will have hearing ears, a believing heart, and continuously empowered to obey your will, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Speak to us. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And an old, old joke, I think I forgot it until I remembered it, so you also could have forgotten it. There was a little boy who disliked going to church. It was Sunday morning, and his mother was after his life, and he refused. The mother was chasing him around the house, finally he ran out, climbed to the nearest tree and sat in the branch refusing to come down. The mother tried, the neighbors tried, everybody tried everything. The boy refused. So finally she called the priest, the local priest. Catholic family of course. So the priest came, he went down to the tree, he looked at the boy and if you've been, I was an ex-Catholic, so if you know Catholics, what they do, he did three times. The boy came down. So they were all surprised. So later they asked the boy, why did you come down? So he said, I thought the priest was saying, if you don't come down, I'll cut the tree. <laughs> okay, one more, right? One more. Because this is a season, people are shifting homes. This is a guy who went to a pet store and said, I want to place an order for 30,000 cockroaches. And the pet owner was shocked. He said, what? 30,000 cockroaches? I have never had a f- order for cockroaches all my life. And I ran this store. I never for 30,000 anyway. He said, What's the reason? He said, because I have to vacate my house next week. The landlord said I need to vacate. And in the lease agreement, there is a clause which says I have to leave the apartment in exactly the same condition I found it. Shikant, you don't have such a condition, right? (laughs) Let's look to the word now. We got five Sundays left, including today. That means 47 Sundays are over. And 48 Wednesdays are over. Okay, so go back, keep listening to the word over and over and over again. We've been hearing and hearing and hearing. But it only works 
when faith is generated, like we've been hearing without faith, it's almost impossible for God to do anything in our life. Okay? But God looks for faith. He always looks for people who believe. And faith can be seen. Faith can be heard. God can even feel faith. So keeping all that in mind, let's go to the text today. Luke 22, verses 31 to 34. This is Jesus at the end of his life. You are at the end of the year talking to Peter. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon. He didn't say Peter, Peter. He said, Simon, Simon. Remember when God calls Jacob, Jacob. And when he calls Israel, Israel, the tone is different. The tone is different here. Simon, Simon. Indeed, Satan has asked for you. That he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you, both to prison prison and to death. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. If you look over there, Jesus had a prayer for Peter. He said, I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. Okay? And that's what happens to all of us. Our faith fails. Jesus is not prophesying, but he's predicting. Peter, faith would actually fail, that he would fall. And he would actually fall away. But also that he would return. I don't think there is anyone here who has not failed in these 11 months. Maybe till yesterday. But if our faith does not fail us, we will return to him. Okay? Jesus' prayer is interesting. He's not praying I have prayed that you will not be tested. I'm not praying that you will not fall. I'm not praying you will not deny me. I'm praying that your faith will not fail you. Your faith will not fail you. And that you will return. And after you return, you would have learned your lessons from your fall. And you would be able to strengthen other brothers who have fallen. Like they say, and it is true, experience is the best teacher. Peter, inevitably one of the greatest apostles of Christ, was a simple fisherman when he was chosen. But he would have such an incredible influence on human history because he chose to follow Jesus. In Mark 16, verse 16 to 18, Jesus actually predicts it. Simon Peter answered and said, You are Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter. 
Peter means stone, okay? But on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against. He's saying, you know what? I see the potential in you, Peter. You're not Simon. You are Peter. You are a stone. You are a chip of that old block. I see you, Peter. When no one sees anything in us, God sees. Okay, remember that. Right in the beginning in John chapter 1 and verse 42. He brought him to Jesus, who his brother. And now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah, but you shall be called Cephas. That's Peter. Which translated means a stone. God had seen, okay? So please remember, don't go by what the world says. Go by what God says about you and me. And actually, if you look among the first twelve Jesus picked, he was the outstanding one. He had that incredible confession when nobody knew. He said, you are the Christ. He's the only man known in human history who walked on water. He was one of the three selected which Jesus took with him everywhere. He was the one who had to fish for money. He experienced so many things the others didn't. He was one of the privileged few who saw Jesus in all his glory on that mount of transfiguration. Okay, Not all his glory, a part of the glory which could be seen with human eyes. Yet, in spite of all of this, he failed like no one else. And his failure is a lesson for all of us believers. And Peter's finish, his restoration, and his finish is also a source of hope for all of us. So as we get into this final 31 days of 2019, let's learn from Peter. Especially if we look back and we don't feel so good about the past 11 months. It was not what we expected when we began. But 31 days can change your life. Remember what Jesus said in Luke 22, 31. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked for you. Never forget that. Jesus makes it very clear. Satan has asked for you. We have an enemy. And he asks for us. The forces of hell are at work 24-7. And they want to have us. And God allows them to sift us. He allows them to sift us. Please remember this. No one falls in a moment. We set ourselves through many steps for failure. No one just rises up to success. There are steps to success. In the world... Spiritual or otherwise. If you look at Judas, he didn't fall in a day. Esgopi, he didn't fall in a day. He fell over many days. There were steps to that. Though God spoke to Gideon, mighty warrior, he didn't become a warrior in a day. There were many steps to be before he became that. And in those portions we, le- we dwelt over the weeks, 
Peter himself who fell so terribly later will give us the steps and tell us in 1st Peter chapter 1 and verse 8 if these things are yours meaning it's not just you practice that becomes an integral part of you if these things are yours he says you will not be barren your life will be not barren you will be a fertile ground for God and you will be incredibly fruitful in the knowledge of God. And not only that, in verse 10 he says, Brethren, be diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. The man who fell headlong so badly is now coming back at the end of his life, his final letter. And he's telling, it's a letter where he knows he's going to die because he says the Lord himself has revealed it is time for me to put this tabernacle, this body away. He's giving us this incredible lesson at the end saying that, you know, you do these things. Meaning, if Peter writes it, it means he has done these things and he never fell again. You will never stumble. You will never fail. You will never fall. Your faith would have risen to that level you can walk with God without failing. So take God. Learn from him. Learn from Peter. First day for the twelfth month. Be like this, uh, what you call sports greats. No, there are good players and there are great players. Today we have no great players. We have good players. Because great players have character, not just skill. And if you have noticed with the old great who retired and I retired along with him from cricket. He played, stopped playing, I stopped watching. That was such it. Every time he hit a hundred or a two hundred, he would go back and ask the umpire to start all over again. He's forgotten his hundred. He's starting from one again. Wouldn't take his hundred for granted. You would be the other hundred. Now I am going to swing. No, he's taking guard against, thinking I have forgotten my hundred. I'm aiming for the next hundred. Okay, so today is a good day to take guard again from Simon. Simon, you be the umpire today. I want to start all over again and learn from you. And the Lord had said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked for you. Let's look at Simon's response or Peter's response. Luke 22, 33. He said to him, Lord, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Okay, that's in one gospel. Let's look at another gospel. Same incident. Mark 14, verse 27 to 31. And Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. Please remember, we'll be made to stumble because of him. The test is how strong is the Christ in you. It's not how strong you are. If Christ is all in all, we won't stumble. So because of him, we will be tested all the days of our life. Because it has to be proven, the faith in me, the Christ in me is true. Remember that incredible verse, 2 Corinthians 13, 5? Examine yourself whether you are in the faith. And what's the answer? The Christ in you. It's not your anything else. Not your works. The Christ in you. 
you will be caused to stumble because of me this night for it is written uh, after i will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered but after i have been raised i will go before you to galilee peter said to him even if all are made to stumble yet i will not be and this is said to him assuredly i say to you that today even this night before the rooster crows twice you will deny me three times the first lesson you learn from simon is he didn't take jesus warning seriously 11 months has been practically over the years every time you hear the word from anybody it's a series of warnings of god telling us the actual battle you and i face it's a series of warning simon has been forewarned and he didn't take it seriously all our experiences all our knowledge will never bring us to that point where we are not vulnerable to falling and to failure and what makes us vulnerable is pride and that is the first thing we see with poor peter what is that even if all were made to stumble i cannot be made to stumble first corinthians 10 and verse 12 the incredible other prophet has this warning therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall okay i know pastor vidya has repeated it many times we all have repeated it many times we keep on telling this about never get complacent about your spiritual walk the most dangerous thing to be satisfied with your prayer life with your word life with hearing from god all that is connected to your spirit what we call the spiritual part of you everything else you can be content but there is one thing you should never be content or complacent it is this it's a very dangerous place to be let any man therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall be very very careful about it faith should not and cannot stand alone we need to keep adding remember those seven things to faith virtue knowledge see it's interesting god's order is very interesting he said add to faith what not knowledge if you add knowledge before virtue you will be proud knowledge puffs up that's why god says first virtue the very character of god which is primarily humility and then to it add knowledge otherwise if you put knowledge without virtue you will go down okay virtue knowledge self control patient godliness brotherly kindness charity all this and that's what he was to give due diligence to these things keep on adding never stop never think you are virtuous enough never think i know everything i need to know about god don't ever think i am one guy who has self control i am the most patient man on earth okay which will lead to failing don't be casual about warnings never ever take casual about these warnings even 
the advice you get. Don't take it. Don't. There are certain things in life. Like I said, success is not random. You can have random success play for India for one season and be out the next season. And if you want to be like Dhoni who is still eyeing the next World Cup, IPL. I'm talking about cricket because then the boys' ears will go up. Pastor Vijay will say Rasul Nadal, but nobody understands tennis except he and me and a couple of people. But cricket, everybody understands. Let me tell you, children. Now you may, it may. Why I have to tell you is that sometimes truth hurts. It's like a knife. It cuts. There are four things you have heard which is fundamental to life. Listening, speaking, reading, and writing. Okay? Listening just doesn't mean listening. It means attention, focus, understanding, perception, everything. Okay? Everything. Pastor Vijay and I talk. We talk about you. Our discussion is always about our sheep. One of the questions we have and one of the answers I give is this. How many of the young people in the church do you see them eternally successful? I say almost none. And he asked me the question, why? I said, because we are one of the churches with hundreds of books lying around. Nobody reads. And you find me one person in human history who was successful without reading. You will not find any. You will not find any. Either you have to listen because when they were in books, they followed listening to great men. So the listening took the place of reading. Or you read. When you don't have both, you're going nowhere. It's impossible. God's own son, the most successful person ever to live on planet earth, listened for 30 years before he spoke a message. It's impossible. It's that simple. It's a fact of life. We are not talking about a success. We are talking about success which is eternal. Even the most common rough Fisherman called Peter, when he stood before incredibly learned men who had read and studied, when they listened to him, they had an answer. This guy has been listening to Jesus for three and a half years. So his speech has changed. This guy hasn't read like us, but he has listened to a great master whom they haven't listened to. That made the whole difference. So please, Rome, I'm telling you, children, I'm telling you, young people, you want to change your life? You will have to change the way you deal with life. Deal with life. If you ever find a great attached in human history to somebody, go back, check your life, you will see they had incredible teachers. Or they were incredibly voracious readers. And that's how they became great. So you have to either listen or you have to read. Otherwise you will be Normally, generally successful in life. But we are not talking about that. We are talking about eternity. And there are steps to success. Steps to success. And that cannot be circumvented. Jesus didn't call 12 disciples, lay his hands upon them and say, now go, you are ready. He said, walk with me. Walk with me. Live with me. Listen to me. And he kept on teaching them for three and a half years.
and then empowered them and sent them out. Okay, so please remember there are steps. There are steps. And this is a false self-confidence. False self-confidence. Okay, and that is what came into him. And that comes out of pride. Comes out of pride. And the first lesson of today from Simon, Simon, what can you teach me? He will say, don't be proud. Never put trust in your flesh. It doesn't matter. If God has said something, be watchful about it. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. Second lesson from Peter. Mark chapter 14, verses 32 onwards we will read. Okay, This is all happening around the same time. He said this, then he goes to the Mount of Olives and something is happening. Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James and John with him and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. It's unbelievable when you read stuff like that. Who is it writing about? What does it say about Jesus' state of mind? Deeply distressed and troubled. Okay, that's Jesus. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch. Continue. That's all? No, I I think I gave it to till 42. Yeah. He went a little further, fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. Then he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Then he came and found them. Found them too? Sleeping. And then who did he say to first? Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could he not watch for one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Go further. Again he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. When he returned, he found them asleep. Again, for their eyes were heavy and they did not know what to answer him. Meaning he woke them up again. Go back. Then he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It's enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of the sinners. Arise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Did you see the difference? Jesus needed to pray. Lest he fail not. They needed to pray. Lest they fail not. Peter had been forewarned. All had been forewarned. But Peter said, everybody fails, I will not. He said, you will be denying me three times tonight. He had been already been forewarned. Then Jesus comes and says, Peter, I'm telling you. I'm not talking about that. Nobody's going to deny me the way you are. Therefore, I'm telling you, sit up and pray. Sit up and pray. But he didn't see the need to pray. How many times did Jesus come back? Three times. Look at verse 37 and 38. Jesus specifically said to Peter, could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray 
lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is. Second lesson from Peter. Don't take your prayer life for granted. One of the scourges of Christendom is prayerlessness. There are so many things which are connected to spiritual victory. And one of them is prayer. The other is the study of the word of God. So your thinking changes. And the third thing is devoted to fellowship. It's a lot fundamental. Fundamental to standing strong. You see, one Sunday a month, or four, four Sundays on a usual month, I preach in another church. Now, I don't preach in another church because I want to preach in another church. I preach in another church because it is in another language. And because there are like literally different nations of people and pastors of that language, wait for that one Sunday's message. But other than that, every month I get invitations to preach in other churches. Every time I turn it down, I say no. I say no, I will not preach on a Sunday. So they ask you, are you preaching every Sunday? I said no, I am not preaching every Sunday. So you cannot spare another Sunday? I said no. You know why? Because I need as much to come to church as any one of you. I need to hear as much as any one of you. I need to be rooted to one church and need that fellowship or then as much as any one of you. Otherwise, I can fix my calendar. I preach here two Sundays and two Sundays I preach in another church or I can preach in another three churches. But you know what I'm having? I'm going against the word and I'm putting trust in myself. I can handle it. I can handle it. There are so many people who are very, very careless about spiritual things. We have been forewarned. We have been forewarned. And we see Jesus comes back three times and the second time he pinpoints Simon and says, Peter, Peter, can't you just pray for an hour? Pray for an hour? Now you turn, I didn't give that words, but if you turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, and verse 25, yeah? Let me read it for you. Okay? Chapter 10, and verse 25. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Did you see that? So even in the first century church, people are stopping from going to church, saying we can handle it. That's when persecution is at the highest. They think we can handle it. The writer of Hebrews, if it is Paul, is telling them, you can't. You can't. You cannot handle what is coming your way because Satan has asked for you. If you are prayerless, 
wordless, worshipless, and fellowshipless. He says, you're gone. And the problem is you won't even know you are gone. You won't even know. Complacency about spiritual things. Neglecting your prayer closet. Neglecting the word. Neglecting the body of Christ. That's why Jesus doesn't call the church as a building. He calls as his body. Think about your hand being cut off. How long will that hand survive? This physical, you know, it's gone. It will dry up and it is gone. And how do you think any one of us can survive alone outside the body of Christ? How can we? Unless circumstances are such, like Richard Wombrandt and all, we are arrested, put in isolation for years in prison, you will survive. Because God will be there with you. He will be beside you because he knows you are there because you took the right decision. The word has been taken away from you, but the word is working in your memory. Fellowship has been taken away from you, but in the next cell, through code, you have created a believer and is having fellowship across the wall by sounds alone. Okay? So be very, very careful. This is the second lesson we learn from Peter. First, pride comes in and out of that comes a self-confidence. Second, we start neglecting the important things of life. I keep telling when young people come to me and when I talk to you, I keep telling that same old example. A prof in a Bible college told his students, he took a glass of water, took a glass of sand, and he took a glass with three stones in it. And he said, and took a fourth glass and said, can you put all three into one glass? Everybody said, no, it's not possible. Because they were looking at it. He said, it is possible. What did he do? He took the empty glass and first put the stones in. Three. Then he put the sand in and shook it nicely. Then he poured the water in and everything fit in. So they were looking at it and they said, he said, did you get the lesson? They said, no. He said, the lesson is this. The stones represents your priorities. If you put God first and the things of God first, you'll always have time for all the others. And if you don't, all your life you will be timeless. And you will never finish what you started. Because life is based on priorities. And that's what Jesus said. Seek me first. My kingdom, my righteousness first. And how do we do that practically? How do we do that practically is never neglect your prayer closet. Never neglect your word. Never stop listening to the word. Never. And today's generation is a generation with all kind of gadgets possible if you can. But for those of you who are not there on a Wednesday, if I were to ask you, did you listen to the Wednesday message? I don't want to ask you because I don't want to embarrass you in the house of God. And if I were to ask you all who were there last Sunday, how many of you listened to the Sunday's message twice? When I could pick probably hundreds of our people from underground churches who have already heard at least five times. You know? It's not that we don't have time. We don't have the inclination. But unless we learn how to put our priorities right, 
With all the promises we have, 2020 will be like 19. It's not God in fail us. We failed him. We failed him. That's what's happening over there. Could you not watch for one hour? Could you not watch for one hour? That's what he's asking. Remember, this is the Peter. The beautiful part about it is, this is the Peter who will rise up and become that great man. Great man. Okay. You look at the great men in the Bible. If you look at Abraham, from the time he moved into Canaan, all the days of his life. From Canaan, Bethel to Moriah, his life is always identified with altars. You always at an altar. And if you look at the carnal, successful believer over there, Lot, do you ever see an altar in his life? No. But if you look at Abraham, who finished his race, what defined his life? An altar. And what is the defining thing about, about Isaac? He's always digging wells. Have you noticed? And wherever he digs, he finds water. These are all kept to us as symbols. One man's life is defined by prayer and worship. Another man is forever digging for more of God. These are the incredible people in the Bible. And you will see, God doesn't change the order for anybody. Neither for me, because I am the pastor, because of you, maybe a new believer. The order is always the same. And you have to make it. Have to make it. Let's look at the third lesson we learned from our dear forefather, Peter. Come back to Mark, Mark chapter 14. Words 46 and 47. Okay. Then they laid their hands on him. The men seized Jesus. This is all happening at the same time. Okay, they came. They took Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. What happened? The high priest, his name is Malachus, his ear was cut off. Let's go to John chapter 18 to find out who was that one. Okay, let's go to John chapter 18 and verse 10. If you come to John 18 and verse 10, yeah. Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. And the servant's name was Malachus. So we see one servant cutting the ear and one disciple and we uh, it is identified, it is Peter. Okay. Now let's go to Matthew. Because you have to read all the Gospels whenever an incident is repeated. So we understand what is happening. If you read only one gospel, you won't get what God is. Why do, always people ask me, yeah, last time also somebody called me from another country and asked me this question. Why is this different in these two gospels? I said, so that you will search. If it is only one gospel and everything is put in order, we are such lazy people. We want that. That's why India is the country where guides are sold the most. And textbooks are rarely bought. But God did not give us a guide. He gave us a textbook. 
and four gospels and not in order. He says, you read all the four, it will all fall into place. And it will be struggle, so you will ask my spirit and he will start putting into place. So you have Matthew and chapter 26 and verse 53. Jesus responds, which is not there in both. He says, or do you think that I cannot now pray to my father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? He had earlier told them, carry the swords. Anyone who got swords? They said two. He said, that's enough. Now that was not to fight. That was for protection. You getting the word? This word is my defense. This is not to cut your head off. That's when husband, when spiritual husbands and wives fight, they use the word to cut each other. They cut each other with the word. Okay? He had told them, carry the sword. But it was not meant to cut anybody's ear off. See, ask this rhetorical question. Hey, put your sword away. You walked with me for three and a half years. You know me. You know who my father is. Do you think if I didn't ask my father, I wouldn't get 12 legions of angels? Dad, that's it. You know, when Peter took the sword, he was trying to help Jesus. But he was doing exactly the opposite of God's will. John 18 and verse 11. Yeah, John 18 and verse 11. Let's read. I like it. These are the old days and there was no gadgets. And when I go to preach, it's always this. There are no gadgets. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? That is the difference between two men who came to the same garden, facing the same situation, reacted differently because one prayed and heard the other was sleeping. What is the difference in their response? Because one has heard, the other has not. One was praying, the other was sleeping. One was playing with spiritual things, while the other was serious about spiritual things. And because he did not hear, he acted, what we say in English, presumptuously. Presumption is a very dangerous thing in this war. Don't presume. Be very sure. I think this is the girl I should marry. You think? Or are you sure? Are you sure? Did you hear? You can't presume. He had told them, watch and pray. But we didn't believe. We slept when we should have prayed. Therefore, we can't blame God. So we presume God needs our help. That's what happened to Abraham. Abraham and Sarah thought God needed some help. That's how Ishmael was born. Abraham trying to help God. Rebecca presumed 
that God needed some help to see Esau didn't steal the blessing. That's why her son wandered for 20 years and served five masters, four wives and a father-in-law for 20 years. Why? Because the mother presumed. We lean on the arm of flesh. We presume. Don't presume. Don't presume. Be very, very, we are learning lessons from Peter. Don't ever think you can stand alone. Don't assume. None of us can. None can. That's why we saw the narrative at last Sunday with, with Paul. Starting with, I am the least of the apostles of many years older coming to, I am the least of the saints. And then finishing his race with the acknowledgement chief of sinners. First with the company of Apostles, then including him in the company of believers, then putting him in the entire world. Why? He's realizing, I cannot run alone. It's not possible. All my knowledge, all my experiences, all this ministry stuff is not going to enable me to stand. I need him every moment. That's that's the key. As you grow older in the Lord, I'm not talking about age, in the Lord, are we presumptuous? Do we take things for granted? Do we? Do we? Because there are so many things that will come. Pride will come in. Prayerlessness will come in. Presumption will come in. And we may not even be aware. But this is a good time to do a check. Is it increasing my dependence upon God, on the word, my prayer life? But am I taking it for granted? Let's go to the fourth one. The result of it. Jesus is arrested. He's taken. Mark chapter 14. Verses 53-54. They led Jesus away to the high priest and with him were assembled all the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes. Let me go to the text. Jesus has been arrested and is being taken. What happens next? The verses 53-54, okay. Peter followed him. What does the Bible say? At a distance. Afar off. KJV will say afar off. Do you see the fourth step of Peter? The guy, the person, I shouldn't say guy, he's a revered apostle. The person who had this incredible revelation of who Jesus was. The one who actually said in the storm or in the sea, Lord, if it is you, bid me come. The only man who walked on water, the man, one among the three who saw him transformed in his glory, the one who said, even everybody denies you, I will not. I am going to willing to go to the prison and die for you. Where is he now? Following. But how? Far off. Far off. Look at your passion at the beginning of the year. Watch night service. To your passion now. 
Where is our passion for God? Where is our passion for God? Or maybe you had no passion at all. If you didn't have, it's a good time to get, go to God and say, light some fire in me, Lord. See, one of the things I keep saying about missions, when I go on mission to the same place, I have a different circuit. Sometimes I'm like an Old Testament preacher. I have, I'm a circuit preacher. The thing is that you go back to those same states or same countries and same churches or same conventions. If you have gone there three years in a row, honestly I'm telling you, honestly I'm telling you, it is difficult to find five people who have been consistent in their passion all three years. Five people. Very rare. One convention you will see, one sitting in the front, all gung-ho for the Lord, listening, crying, praying, taking notes, all the five days. Next year you go, the person is sitting at the back, doesn't even come to the front. Third time you are not even seeing, you ask the pastor, oh no, we disciplined him and sent him out of the church. It's a common story. And I can look back into my own life, the ones who began with me, this, many of them were my mentors. They are mentoring nobody now. Ease. Ease. Very dangerous thing. Very, very dangerous thing. Following Christ from far. Worldly cares. Entertainments. You don't realize how it comes. Vacations. Vacations. We don't re- I, I always tell, once you come to the Lord and walked a little while, you don't realize every decision is spiritual. Every decision is spiritual. My mom went yesterday. My brother had come from Japan to, for a business meeting. He came. Met her at the airport, took her. We as a family meet maybe once in five years, six years, because we are like North Pole, South Pole. One is in Scotland, Glasgow, another is in Tokyo, and the other one is in the middle in the desert in Abu Dhabi. So it's very difficult, everybody. So after, again, many years, everybody is meeting at the end of the year, except me. They're meeting in Cochin. Still asking yesterday. Still calling. Are you, are you not going to be there? I said, no. Priorities are very clear. End of the year is fasting. End of the year is with church. It's not my vacation time. One, I don't have vacations. Don't have vacations. Even when the children come, I say, tell the mother, you go, have and come back. No vacations. There's no time. Because if you know your spiritual reality, spiritual reality, you will realize every decision you make will have. Because at the end of the day, all you and I have is time on our hands. Time on your hands. And what I see is people unbelievably wasting time. 
And we are living. You see, I, I like technology. I like all these things when they work. I like them. Okay, because it saves time. If I were to say, let us go to Mark chapter 14 and verse 3, I have to wait until everybody has found it. But here, one second, it's up. So it saves time. A fridge is good. Washing machine is fantastic. Vacuum cleaner is good. All these things and all these new, new gadgets, how that thing spins around and you can, all these things are good. But what is the purpose behind all this? Have you ever asked? Do? And do you save time? We are one generation when we stand before God who will be told you've been given every device which was never possible 6,000 years. You could have maximized your time for my kingdom's sake and you didn't. Your forefathers had no electricity. They rode horses and donkeys. They used implements which we don't even know by name today. You had everything. You had time on your hands. What did you do? What did you do? We wasted. It's not money we are wasting. It's time we are wasting. The world creeps in without us even knowing. Creeps in without us knowing. And we have all these gadgets. It's all good. All these are good. Because whatever you do, you can still listen. Whatever you are doing, like I keep telling, most of the chores we have do in life are mechanical. After a time, and we can keep listening. I wish God gave me that authority to pick everybody's phone, confiscate it for the next 30 days, and it would cause you to spend time with God. We would have revival. This is the time killer for most of you, the amount of time you know, these phones are interesting. My phone speaks to me by saying that I spent very little time with it this week. And I said, thank you, good. Trying to tempt me, use me more, I said, I don't need you. Amount of time. And that's when it happens. The man who was the most vehement in his Commitment to following Jesus is now following Jesus from far off. Are you following Jesus? Yes. Can you see his face? No. Can you hear his voice? No. In your eyes, he's the one who's being led away. But in reality, you are the one who has been led away. He is fulfilling the will of God. You have been taken captive by the enemy. You think you are free. No, you are bound. You think he is bound. No, he is free. He's not being taken away. He's fulfilling the will of God in his life. What about you, Peter? What about you, Peter? Let's go to the fifth step of our dear brother Peter. Not this Peter, but the Original Peter. Mark chapter 14 and verse 54. And Peter followed him at a distance. Right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. Now it goes to one step further. Peter is now warming himself at the fire. 
The wrong fire, the wrong crowd. He's not sitting with the friends of the Lord. He's actually sitting with the enemies of the Lord. Apostle James had a very strong name for this behavior. In James 4.4 he says, Adulterers and adulteresses. The wrong crowd, wrong fire. John, Apostle John had also strong words. 1 John 2.15 Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And he's there warming the fire of the world with the company of the world. Keep asking this question. Who are your friends? Who are your friends? That's the fire you warm. Jesus had very strong words in Matthew 6 and 24. No one can serve two masters. You cannot warm yourself here and then go receive the fire of the Holy Spirit. It's not possible. You cannot warm six days in the fire of the world and then come and express the fire of the Holy Spirit to fall upon you. It's not possible. There are two different fires. You can't run with the hounds, run with the hare, and hunt with the hounds at the same time. You can't. It's English saying, go back and check what it means, okay? Hunt with the hounds and run with the hare. You can't. People try it. People in the world don't do it. People in the church try to do it. God has only one remedy. You and I must choose whom we will serve. You cannot, God says. It's not you may not. It's not you will not. He says you cannot. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17 and 18. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. Come out, he says. And I will be a father to you. And you shall be my. You look at the condition and the promise. Look at the promise. You will be my. You will experience me, he says. You will know me as your father. And I will receive you. Do you see how Peter is going down? Spiraling down. First was pride. Then he What is the second one? Prayerlessness. Presumption. Do you see all these things in our own lives? Following from far and warming ourselves at the wrong fires. Doesn't stop there, okay? Please remember, it doesn't stop there. It goes further down. Because this is the company you keep. If you go into that company, you will go further and further and further down. Mark 14, verse 66 and 68. Yeah, Mark. I didn't give it to you. Mark 14, verses 66 and 68. 
Now as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied, saying, I neither know nor understand what you are saying. interesting what he said. I don't even understand what he said. Jesus of Nazareth? What does that mean? Who is that? All over the world you see Christians. They live as if they never knew or understood Jesus at all. They deny any association with Jesus. Scripture says, a rooster crowed. A rooster crowed. Jesus is giving a warning. How many times did he deny? First time he denied the rooster crowed. And you should have known. Oh, I denied him. Does warnings matter? You know, on Wednesday message, Pastor Vijay was talking about Jehoshaphat. No? Two prophets and one king. Okay. Two kings and one prophet. Let's look at that portion of Second Chronicles chapter 18 and verse 1. Jehoshaphat had, had riches and honor in abundance. All God gave. And then he went and married Ahab's daughter probably. By marriage, he allied himself with Ahab. Go listen to that message so you will know your alliances, what your alliances will create, who you marry, who your best friend is. They have a term for the bestie. Modern day language. Bestie will become a beastie one day. Who is your best friend? Allied himself with Ahab. You know who Ahab is? Jehoshaphat, the righteous king, allied himself with Ahab. And what happens next? Verse. After some years he went down to visit Ahab in Samaria. And Ahab killed sheep and oxen abundance for him. I don't know how much sheep and oxen one man can eat. And the people who were with him and persuaded him to go up with him to Ramoth Gilead. So Ahab king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat son of king of Judah. Will you go up with me against Ramoth Gilead? And he answered. I am as you. You are my people as your people. We will be with you in war. Is that how you tell your friends? That's what? The righteous man. He dies. Who? Ahab dies. You know. His son. Second Kings chapter 3 verse 7. Now it's Ahab's king. The righteous man is still kept alive. The, the wicked fellow died. His son is king. He went to, he went and sent to Jehoshaphat king of Judah saying, King of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me? Fight against Moab? And he said, I will go up. I am as you are. My people as your people. My horses as your horses. Did he learn his lessons? From the rooster crowing the first time, did he learn anything? Seeing how Ahab had died, how 400 prophets were false, how one prophet was true, the warning God gave him, the deception of Ahab, he saw it all, he had a warning. Did he learn? No. Didn't stop there. Go to Second Chronicles chapter 20. Now, Joram or Jehoram is dead. His son, Ahaziah is the king. Jehoshaphat is still alive. 
after this Jehoshaphat king of Judah allied himself with Ahaziah king of Israel who acted very so he allied with the father the son and the grandson all three wicked so how many warnings do you need he's not a bad man he's a good man one of the few good men Jehoshaphat and yeah, come further. Uh, yeah, he allied himself. Yeah, I didn't finish with him to make ships to go to Tarsus, and they made ships in Ezion Geba. And Elias, the son of Dodava of Maresha, prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, "Because you have allied yourself with Ahaziah, the Lord has destroyed your works." And the ships were wrecked, so that they were not able to go to Tarsus. You know how Jehoshaphat's life record ends with this. Your works are destroyed. Why? Because of the company you chose. Are you good? Yes. Are you righteous? Yes. Did I hear when you cried? Yes. But how will you end? Like this. Why? Because of the company you chose. This is the company we choose. We use all. Because we, we want to look good in the world. That's our problem. I used to tell my students centuries ago when I taught that's why I'm that old. Okay. You don't want to be smart. You want to look smart. You know, to look smart is very easy. All you have to go to the library, pick two books and walk like this down on the corridor. You look smart. To be smart, this has to be internalized. It is hard work. You don't want to be rich. It takes hard work and thrift and stewardship. You want to look rich. Buy some designer clothes. And walk around as if you own the world when you have nothing with you and you do not have the substance to earn tomorrow. Why? Because you didn't do the work when you should have done. How to earn and acquire skills. That's our problem. The fake world, the most fake world we have ever lived in is now. It's absolutely, totally fake. And we want to be part of it and warm ourselves in that fire. And when they ask you, are you not part of Jesus? We Say, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't even understand this Jesus of Nazareth. You know, it didn't happen in one step. It was a series. Series of steps. How you go down. How you go down. You go down. We don't want to look spiritual. We truly want to be spiritual. Thirty-one days. Learn from Peter. Openly denied. I don't know or understand what you are talking about. But if you think that's enough, and the devil will leave you. Hey! You denied Jesus. Okay, fine, I will leave you. He's not going to leave you because Jesus said he comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. He's not going to leave you there just because you denied He's not satisfied with your compromise. He will try to lead you to a life of complete denial. Jesus had said, you shall be my witness. Shall be my witness. I'll tell you a secret. India, all these nations, all great leaders get acquitted finally in court. You know why? Where is Jyoti? Yes, Jyoti. Giving you a term, okay? Uh, sorry, Deepika, giving you a term because you are learning law. I learned law before you learned. 
My father got me onto Perry Mason. Perry Mason is a law novel. So before I was 12 years old, I had read this much. So I knew all the legal terms. And I and my father used to talk like, yes, my honor. <laughs> okay. There is something called when a witness turns hostile. He is in court. Chashit is against him. And he will be sentenced because you three are the witnesses. And these three witnesses are the prosecutor's evidence. But he's got influence. So either he threatens your family or he buys you off. So the day you come to court, the Hepsiba um, will stand up and says, I was never there. I don't even know what you're talking about. Jyoti says, actually I was at Guntur on that day. And she's got some t- tickets and all to show. And one picture also to show in Guntur. And Anne says, I don't even know who Vijay is. So what has happened? The witness have turned hostile. And the case is closed. And he's free. That's how some of the big people in power got away. You do not know what happened in the cases in Gujarat where it was closed and people were said innocent because the witnesses turned hostile. But there is a judgment that is coming another day where there is no witness needed because he will not judge by what he hears or what way he sees, he will judge in righteousness. All the criminals who escaped here will not escape there. But coming back to our this thing, there is a trial going on here. Inside there is an actual trial going on in the high priest court. Mark chapter 14 verses 55 onwards. Mark 14, there's an actual trial, courtroom trial. It's a fake trial because it is against the law, the high priest. Jesus said to them, the chief priests and all the council sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. For many bore false witness against him, but the testimonies did not agree. If you ever watched the impeachment hearings, it was that their testimonies were not agreed. That is without a council of the president being, it was the most funny thing to happen. Each one was saying different things. It was not agree. We are trying to impeach Jesus. And it's think you're going to work. Nobody's testimony agrees. Then some rose up and bore false witness against him saying, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands and within three days I will build another made without hands. But not even then did their testimony agree. Then the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus saying, do you answer nothing? What does this man testify against you? He kept silent and answered nothing. Again the high priest asked him, saying to him, Are you Christ the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Where is this happening? Right there. Who is there in the courtyard? Peter. And he should have stood up and said, He Truly is the son of God. I have revelation. I have the witness of my eyes. Did he stand up? The witness turned hostile. He didn't stand up. He didn't stand up. He didn't stand up. Question is, he said, you shall be my witnesses in this world. What kind of a witness am I? What kind of a witness am I? Yes, Advent season is here. Christmas season is here. But what kind of a witness am I? What kind of a witness am I? 
He denied. He denied Jesus. I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. Doesn't stop there. Like I said, it gets worse. Mark chapter 14, verses 69, 69 to 72. And the servant girl saw him again. She keeps coming back. And began to say to those who stood by, this is one of them. But he denied it again. And a little later, those who stood by said to Peter again, but surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean, and your speech shows it. (laughs) Then he began to curse and swear. I do not know this man of whom you speak. Let's go to 69 and uh, 70 and uh, uh, 71. Okay, 70, 70. Let's leave this uh, Galilean part because that is history. That's history. But there's a spiritual truth over here. They looked at him and said, your speech shows it. Does your speech show that you've been with Jesus? They identified him by his speech. Does your speech show you in the world you belong to Jesus? It's a question that is being asked here. Your speech shows it. If you've been with Christ and with the church, listening to the word, meditating upon the word, digesting the word, your speech should be changing. That's the first evidence on Pentecost, the speech changed. The first thing God did is he took over their tongue. Speech changed. There was a visible change in their conversation. Topics you talk about, the way you talk, the conversations you have, the topics you are interested in, and the topics in which you show disinterest. Everything is a testimony. I have nothing to say. Why? Because I'm not interested. So speech changed. And here is where he denied him. Verse 71 is interesting, right? What does it say? He began to curse and swear. Swear. Curse and? Let me ask the young one sitting over here. To show that you, not that you don't belong to Jesus, to show that you belong to the world, you want to be with the in crowd. Is that the four letter words you use in a conversation regularly? Profanity laden? That's, that's the in culture today. In schools, colleges, IT sector, everybody uses profanity. News, movies, one of the reasons I watch black and white movies is because there is no profanity there. We have technology today. Incredible movies are made, but you cannot watch them unless you're watching it on silent mode. Technology is fantastic. That's what God is talking about. He began to curse and swear. I've heard many people say, even says, if you push me further, my real nature will come out. So that's your real nature. 
You don't know who I am. I thought you had changed. I thought scripture says any man is in Christ Jesus, the old has passed away, all things are you. But you are still holding on to that old. It will come out. Profanity. We lower ourselves to the level of the world. The way profanity is used. That's why I said you have to read these four gospels, the scenes together to see like incredible screenshots are given to us. What is happening over there? The seven girl coming back again. I'm sure. And the people say, are you not this thing? Are you not your speech? Then in another gospel, exactly what happens is given there in Luke 22 and verse 61. This is NIV. I like the NIV translation. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Okay, I'll not look at Hepsi, look at Peter. Straight at Peter. So, everything is in eyesight. The trial is going on. Jesus is here. The crowd is there. Peter is there. Everything can be seen. Jesus looked straight at him. You don't know me. Wow, your language has changed. Kya baat hai? Language is changed. Peter, you forgot what I had told you sometime earlier. You are all clean because of the word. Now the words that are coming out of your tongue are unclean. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me. The story ended there. We would all go from the church depressed and discouraged, right? Doesn't end there. It begins, steps back to restoration. Luke 22 and verse 62 says, So Peter went out and wept. First thing he did, he left that company. Get out of your company that makes you deny Jesus and swear. Get out of that company that makes you say that you do not know him nor understand him. It is not worth being with them and warming them yourself in their fires. Maybe they have money and you don't have it. Maybe they will take you for a movie or, or buy you drinks or a coke. It is not worth Warming yourself by their fire. Get out of that company. That's what he did first. He got out and he wept bitterly. Bitterly. Jesus had seen all this. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 13, scripture says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Because he cannot, even when he was Faithful, faithless, Jesus was. What would we do? If somebody denied us, we will walk away like this. Jesus turned and looked at him. You. Don't know me? Even when we are unfaithful, he is still faithful because he cannot deny himself. See, restoration begins. He gets out, he goes, and he weeps. Three days later, we have different accounts of Jesus' resurrection. Let us look at one account. It's an angelic account in Mark 16. 
He said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He's risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. Go tell his disciples and Peter. Because you know he's the one who's hurting the most. Not the others. The others did not deny him like the way Peter did. You see, that's, that's the nature of our God. A special word for the one who failed him the most. So if you are the one who feels I failed him the most this 11 months, God is telling him, you, go tell him, her, the word for you today. I have risen. I have risen. And you will see me. All is not lost. You will see me. I have risen. A special word. Special word. There are different accounts in the Bible about Jesus' resurrection. And sometimes we say, how come it doesn't tally? Go find it out yourself. God's is, it's all revelation to people who are searching for him. Not to do maths with scripture. It is not tally, tally, tally. No, this is not a tally. This is revelation given for people who are broken and crying and looking for God for restoration in their life. He will speak through different portions of the same incident. And there is something which is not even there in the four gospels, a revelation of Jesus' resurrection. Which is given to us by a man who was never with Jesus, who encountered Jesus after he ascended years and years later. He writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, this is what he writes. 15, 3 to 5. Look at that revelation given to Paul, which is not there in the four gospels. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And in the fifth verse he says, and he was seen by, first by what? Peter got a private audience which nobody knows. Nobody knows. Telling you, if your tears are genuine, so will your revelation be. He revealed himself to Peter, which nobody knew. Revealed to Paul that I showed myself first as a fast. Now we would leave Peter out or put him last on our visitation list, not God. He puts him First on his list. He had known Peter. His weaknesses and his tears. That is why you have to know God. That is why Peter will say his final letter, final verses of Peter to us. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord. You need to know him. If you were in my position that day, you would have thought all is lost. I didn't even realize it was a new beginning. That he would come and meet me first. Meet me first. But guard your heart always like Peter from depression and Elijah. Because spiritual depression for leadership is a terrible thing because of the pressure they face. Incredible pressure Elijah faced and he got depressed and he ran. Same thing with Peter. Even if God comes and tells you, yes, you are forgiven. I don't remember it. But you still don't forgive yourself. You have to learn to forgive yourself. 
God has forgiven you, but you haven't forgiven yourself. And a lot of people say, I will never forgive myself. God says, go ahead. I have forgiven you. Go ahead, forgive yourself. Because if you don't forgive yourself, you'll not be able to go ahead with God. And that's what happens, the final chapter of Gospel according to John, in 21 verses 1 to 3. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. He showed himself. And he's telling you the account what happened. What happened? Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel, the sons of Gebedee, two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. That's what happens when pressure gets too much and you get too depressed and too discouraged. You go back to what you did earlier. That's what happened to me years ago. So depressed, so discouraged, so much pressure. And I said, it's okay. I will do both what? Ministry and secular work. So I went and applied in one of those engineering colleges for prof in English vacancy. They looked at my resume and called me first. We were all sitting there and all the other were ladies. And they all looked at and said, oh, we won't get it. Your resume is so good. I said quietly because they didn't know the battle that was going inside. They could hear like God telling Elijah, what are you doing here? 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 They called me. And the whole board is sitting over there. And they started asking me questions. And in the middle of answering, I heard him say, get up and leave. And I got up in the middle of the interview and said, I'm sorry, I apologize for wasting your time. Please call the next one. I need to go. The chairman is asking, sir, 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 wait, what happened? What happened? They said, they did some mistake. I said, no, you didn't do anything. I did the mistake. Pressure can make you go back fishing. Go back fishing. That is the first and the last time I tried to do two things at the same time. He went back fishing. They said to him, we are going with you also. They went out, immediately got into the boat and night, that night they got nothing. That's what? Experience of believers. They got nothing. They got nothing. All night they worked and got nothing. Verse 4. When morning had come, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore and yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. You all know the stories, right? Go to verse 7 and 8. Okay, let's, uh, you know the story, I'm not reading the whole thing. He asked them, hi, did he catch anything? Please remember, what he asked you in the morning and what you asked you in the evening are not always the same things. The morning of your life, he will ask you, how is it working? Are you catching anything? The end of your life, he will say, let's go to the other side. Get ready to cross over. Remember Mark chapter 4? When evening came, he told, let us go to the other side. Morning, he asked them, did he catch anything? How successful are you? Are you trying to do stuff without me? Against what you know what I told you to do? Please remember, these are all spiritual truths. The sun set on Jacob on the road to his future father-in-law's house. 20 years later when he has encountered Peniel, humbled himself, become Israel. The next day, scripture says, the sun rose. Sun rose. What does he say? 
Therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon heard that it was the Lord, he put on the outer garment for he had removed it and plunged into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little boat. Interesting, right? The contra- you want to see the contrast? Go to Mark 14 and verse 51 and 52. A few days earlier, 50 days earlier when Jesus was arrested. Oh, 30, 40, we don't know how many days earlier when he was arrested. A certain young man followed one of the disciples. Okay, I think this was John. Having a linen cloth thrown around his naked body and the young man laid hold of him and he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. When they abandoned him and denied him, they left their clothes and one man especially and ran. Now, they are practically naked and he says, it is the Lord. He covered himself and jumped into the water towards him. Transformation is taking place. When they abandoned him, they were naked. When he's restoring them, they're being clothed in their mind. That's how restoration takes place. You can get back with God. And before we come to communion, Jesus asks, are you one question? Three different ways, but one question. In 21, verse 50. And all those who messed up to 11 months, or many times in this 11 months, and who wants to be restored? There's only one question that really matters. The answer to that question that really matters, whether we can be restored or not, is that question. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Don't go to the second and third question. There he only asked, do you love me? The first question is important. Do you love me more than all this? If the answer is yes, you can be restored. If the answer is no, you cannot be restored. Because whatever you love more will pull you back. It's not possible. It has not been possible with any man in human history. So the question God asks you on the first Sunday of this twelfth month is, do you love me more than everything? Everything? Everybody, even yourself, do you love me more than? He will tell you ultimately, for restoration to take place, only that question matters. The power to obey, the power to follow Jesus, the provision to do your work, all this God will supply. That's not a question. The question is this. Simon, son of, so, let me ask that question, personalize it, and Jyoti, Hepsi, Hannah, Peter, John Ritchie, and I lost your name, Danush. A simple question, everybody is simple. Do you love me more than all this? It's a simple question. Till Anne, of course, God will ask, do you love me more than Johan? Jyoti, I don't know. Hepsi, I don't know. Hannah, I'm not saying. Peter, I don't know. Richie, I don't know. Everybody who has father, family, mother, brother, sisters, whatever it is. It's a simple question, son. When you're a widow with an only child, it's a very difficult question. Do you love me more than Johan? 
Yesterday, a mother wrote to me saying that if my daughter dies, is in the ICU, dies, I don't know what I will do. What do I have to live for? I said, after all these years of hearing the message you are saying, your daughter is a reason for your life. I said, I don't mollycoddle senior believers. I said, go back and read what David said when his son died. He will not come back to me, but I will go to him. He got up, worshipped and strengthened himself to continue to serve the Lord. Do you love me more than all these? Is the question. And you have to personalize it. Because you don't know when you will have the answer. The answer, Like I keep telling, the answers are not made on that day. The answers are made this day. When that day comes, you already know the answer. When that day comes, you will know the answer because you already decided the answer a long time back. It is not on that day Abraham decided to take Isaac. He had already decided in his heart that he loves God. He did not decide to offer sacrifice. He didn't even know such a question would arise. But he had already decided God came first. So when God said, take your son, your only son, he didn't need to call a prayer meeting. Nothing. No fasting, no prayer. The next day morning he got up and he left. That's how it happens. And he may repeat this question many times. In our life. Not because he is not sure. To see that we are sure. In verse 17 scripture says. He said to him a third time. Simon son of Jonah. Do you love me? Peter was grieved. Don't be grieved. (laughs) Because only God knows how many times we have denied him this year. Don't be grieved. He's not coming to condemn us. He's not coming to blame us. He's coming to restore us. He's coming. He always comes to restore. Like everything about God is restorative with his children. And he asked the most important question. Do you love me more than these? Now we are coming to the element, to the communion, to the bread. And we have to ask this question. Why did Jesus say, do this in remembrance of me until I come? Why? This is a reminder. You know, when you see that, your reminder, you know what? He loved me more than all that. I love him more than all this. Because he left heaven. And we have to leave earth. He loved me more than all that. And we love him more than all this. And it's a commitment we are making every time. It's a restoration. It's a table of restoration. As we go to the table, remember, even when he looks at you, straight at you, he's not mad at you. He may look straight into your eyes, but he's not mad at you. doesn't come to condemn. He comes to restore. As we go to the Lord's table, it's a Lord's table, a table instituted by Him. It's a table that brings restoration and healing and fellowship back with God and with man. As we go to the table, 
will ask the Lord to show, to cleanse, to sanctify. Only He can do it all. When the elements come, we shall keep it in our hands, partake of it together at the end. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, He took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Shall we pray? Father, this morning we just come to you. We just come to you, Lord. We just want to thank you. We just want to praise you. We just want to worship you. Who are we, O oh Lord, that you are mindful of us? What is man, Lord, like grass in the field, here today, gone tomorrow? Yet you have looked straight at us. You didn't avoid our eyes. You didn't pass us by. You looked straight at us. Even when we failed you, even when we denied you the umpteen time, and we swore in the language of the world, you stood, still looked straight at us. Because you love us. Because you want to restore us. Today I pray, Father, today especially this first Sunday of this twelfth month, all those who partake at the table will be partaking at the table of restoration. That you will touch them. You will restore them. You will gladden their hearts. And they will go from this place healed and restored, O oh Lord. Because for this purpose you came. To seek and to save the lost. Yes, Lord, Satan sought for us. And he sifted us. But your word says for this purpose the Son of Man came. That he might destroy the works of the devil. And as we partake of this, we will experience more of your strength and power in our lives. That the works of the devil are continuously destroyed in us, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. His world shall not fail you be
final moments of the word worship team stay there like I said ultimately the only question that matters question we need to ask ourselves do we love him and if we love him how do we love him That's a question God asked Peter first. Do you love me more than all these? In 1 John 4.18 John who was right there listening to these questions and who wrote it down for us later will say the reason. There is no fear in love but perfect love casts out fear. It was fear that caused him to deny Jesus. And it's fear that makes many of us do many things, especially deny Jesus. And the same Peter history says, will die on the cross like his master. And at the time of his crucifixion will actually say, I'm not worthy to die like my master. Crucify me upside down. He was no longer afraid. He no longer denied. Because scripture says in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 8, love never fails. Only two things mentioned in the Bible. One, God never fails. And that's why he asked that question. Do you love me? More than all these? There's only one thing that never fails. That is, love never fails. Love never fails. So we have looked at how Simon fell away and how Simon Peter was restored. Restoration. He did a few things and God asked one question. In First Corinthians 13 and verse 13, Scripture says, Now abide faith, hope and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. And in closing, it's interesting. One of the final words of Jesus to Peter. In John 21 and verse 18, he says something. So it's a lesson for our final lesson for today. Most assuredly, I say to you, he tells Peter, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. 
But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you whether you do not, where you do not wish. He's talking about the way you would die, but it's more than that. Specifically that, but he's telling something to Peter and telling to all of us there. Okay. When you were young, in simple words, when you were young, you did what you wanted. When you are old, you will do what somebody else wants. And in the same chapter of love, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 11, this in the middle of this entire narrative about love, Paul suddenly breaks into something else and says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Please listen to that carefully. I spoke as a child. I thought as a child. I understood as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. It's not written, I put away childish things and became a man. I became a man and I chose to put away childish things. Everyone sitting over here except for the young ones are men and women. You need to put away childish things. Put away childish things. Children are moved by feelings. They react to outside or inside stimulus. That child. That's the nature of a child. He said, when I became a man, put away. It's not I put away childish things. Meaning you can be a man and never put away childish things. That's what God told Peter. When you were young, you were always impulsive. But a day will come when you will be led. Peter, you will be led. That's when you will be a man. You will put away all these childish things. Okay? So the closing argument in the trial room of not Pontius Pilate is this. Do you love him? more than all this. And if you do, put away childish things. Don't think like a child. Don't speak like a child. Don't understand as a child. Put away your good news Bibles. Stop doing your daily devotions which I have been doing for the last 30 years. Start getting into serious business not to study the word but to hear from God. So that your vision will be 20, 2020. Okay, 2020. 31 days. Actually, 30 and a half days. 30 days and 12 hours exactly you have left to come back to God. But always have this about God. You, it doesn't matter how low you have gone. Where sin abounds, what abounds? Okay, it doesn't matter how low you have gone. You can't go too low for God. 
because he went as low as a man could go to save us. Can't go lower than that. So it's restoration and renewal. And he sends you right back to where he called you for. Do you love me? Me more and all this? Yes, Lord. Feed. You're not disqualified. Now you are qualified because you have fallen. You have come back. Now you can go back and strengthen your brothers because you know what it is to fall. And you know what it is to rise. So you can go back and strengthen others. Amen? Shall we stand? Shall we pray? Father, this morning we just come to you. Truly, Father, the more we understand you, the more we know you, Jesus. You are the lover of our soul. Nobody has, nobody can love us the way you do, Father. All of eternity, we will never, ever encounter another person like you. And we don't even really know you. There is none like you. There is none beside thee, Lord. And this morning, I commit the church into thy hands. And I pray, O Father, restoration, renewal, and focus. Everyone will recommit themselves back to the king and to the kingdom. And there would be a fire lit in us. Not the fire in Ananias court. But a fire that is lit in heaven itself. And burst in us Lord. That this 30 days and the new year that is coming. No one will be barren or unfertile. Everyone will be fruitful and be full Lord. Full of you. Fruitful father. Wherever they go. And wherever we go, we do not deny you. We acknowledge you. And we will proclaim you. And they will know us by our conversation to who we belong. Thank you, Father. It's your church and our churches, all your people. Go into another 30 days. I bless them in your name. May the hand of the living God rest upon each one. Empower them, heal them, strengthen them, and equip them to fulfill your call and your purpose in their lives, O Lord. Now by faith, believing the word of God, the blood of Jesus, the spirit of God has sanctified us. We lift up holy hands in your sanctuary and we bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. And we open our mouths and we proclaim, Thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory. Forever and ever, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen.